put but, some meat on the bones. What happened when you died? Not saying then that the afterlife is a really dominant England team display with a, with a glorious but, headed goal involving Peter Crouch. To take that time out, you know, if you can take a month or two out and really think more deeply about what's going on. On today's Engaging Marketeer, I am speaking with Nigel Davis from Pin Creative. Now, Nigel has got two very exciting things about him. Firstly, he is a brand guru and was actually responsible for the rebrand of a, a very small company you might have heard of called called Ford. Uh, and also, he, he died. He died and was clinically dead for, for 29 minutes in something they call downtime. Uh, so I'm going to be asking Nigel, what brought that on? What happened? What did he see? How did it affect his life? And and where he's going, going from there? So let's speak to Nigel. So I, I think there's really only one place I think I can start with you. Yep. And that's you died. Well, yeah, that's the that's the long long that's the short story. That's the of, short story. Uh, <laughs> Let's put some meat what, on the bones. What happened when you died? Well, so what happened was I went to the post office one day and had a very severe cardiac arrest, basically. And obviously, I've got no memory of that. I was just sort of. So you um, can't remember doing a thing about it. I can't can't remember a thing about it. And all I all I do remember is waking up a few uh, well I, m- I remember waking up and someone saying where do you know where you are and i went am mm. i at a school because i was sort of looking at the the ceiling and that's probably the last time i stared at a ceiling for very long <laughs> then maybe we should stare at ceilings more often and uh, they went, no, you know you're in <laughs> yeah well have a look at ceilings more often stop looking at your feet look up <laughs> but um the um and then obviously it kind of transpired i was in hospital and they explained the event and then they sort of kind of gently sort of tell you what happened and then you start reading medical notes so i had a, a sort of a it was an eruption in, in an artery basically that just collapsed and stopped uh, blood and oxygen to my heart and brain and they they call it downtime and the downtime wow. for me was 29 minutes and most people don't don't survive that um for some reason i did which is great because I'm still here to talk about it and it was obviously I think it was quite a shock to people who'd been around me because they'd, they'd got to the point of discussing you know end of life who switches me off and all that sort of stuff because they just assume that you're not going to survive you're down to one percent survival rate by then if you've gone into hospital and you've gone through, um, they gave me stents and things like that, if anyone's ever had, or lots of people have had these things that know about them. And yeah, I, I just woke up one day and I say, well, I'm, in, I'm out of school. No, I'm in a hospital with a, having had a serious event. And then sort of start piecing it all together again afterwards. Did you have any, any sort of symptoms before then? Any warning that was going to happen? Yeah, I mean, th- there was symptoms before, but wasn't aware what the symptoms were, if that makes sense. So, and I'd, I'd totally forgotten until I came back home, sit back to the desk where I am right now, and there was like a blue inhaler on my desk. I was thinking, well, I'm not asthmatic. I don't have any, any kind of things like that. And then I remember that about two or three weeks before, I'd spoken to the doctor and said I was having just bit of chest pains breathing problems and he just said well I think you may be asthmatic 
uh, I think you should get a blue inhaler and send me on my way. Probably, maybe what he said, oh my God, you're going to have a heart attack in, in three weeks. Uh, we should get a chest x-ray done and sort of unblock anything that's going to happen. But no one's got that amount of foresight. <laughs> so, but no, nothing nothing sort of longer term than, than that, apart from the kind of typical... Um, you know, bad living, not, not not exercising lifestyle that most of us seem to lead. So, is is that what you've been told is is pretty much the the cause of it? Well, I don't. Th- I mean, I, I I like a pint of Guinness. So who doesn't? Uh, um, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yes, and uh, there's more stuff about Guinness that I can tell you about when I was in in my sort of delirious state. But actually, it was probably one of the first things that I said to. Um, you know the doctor <laughs> or the last things probably it's like will i be able to still drink guinness he went yeah no reason you can we'll be able to run a marathon yeah if you want so i don't think it was i don't no one really knows not necessarily hereditary it's just just one of those things that happen anything happened like that to you unexpected kind of you know nothing nothing unexpected well that's what the most unexpected thing is i've, I've got scoliosis which is a curved spine oh which I didn't know anything about until somebody pointed out that there was a lump sticking out my back when I was in school. Went in for a, a checkup and an X-ray and saw a sc- scan on the screen, a, a, an X-ray on the screen of a spine in the shape of a letter S, and thought that guy's in trouble. And it was mine. Yeah. Um, so that was very little notice, uh, but it wasn't mm-hmm. a sort of a, ooh, what's just happened. Um, so I probably had about two, three weeks' notice before that had to be operated on. But yeah, that that, that came from nowhere as well. Yeah, I guess like a lot of these, I don't, I don't even know how you would. I mean, I guess people talk about symptoms and what might happen, but you don't. You just don't know. I mean, for me, I sort of just. I mean, the thing for me is that I I did lose some memory from about a week before, which whole is a shame. Uh, yeah, nearly a week because, um, you know, if people are listening, but if people can see, then I'm in a room full of records and music's one of my passions and. The previous week, I'd been to several gigs. One in, um, uh, I went to see Public Image Limited in Bath, and I sort of vaguely remember that. That was about a week before. But my all-time favourite band, The Other, did three gigs that week, and I went to two of them. And I have no recollection of those whatsoever, which is really disappointing because they are one of my favourite bands. I'd never seen them live, and since then, Matt Johnson has been diagnosed with a severe throat thing and he'll probably never sing again so it's kind of like it's sort of he went into hospital uh, a few years ago slightly unexpectedly as well i think and i i when i woke up i checked my um i checked my phone because that's kind of like the first thing you do when you wake up anyway but and there was there was this sort of message like yeah i'll, I'll meet you in the the lamb and flag at eight o'clock i was thinking well who's that and what that's for me and i'd gone and bought a ticket to go and see the the, the roxy troxy sorry and um totally forgot and I'd met a random person bought a ticket off them and I'd seen them the night before with my friends in in Brixton but no recollection of the gig whatsoever which is very disappointing wow probably not that serious compared (laughs) oh I don't don't know I mean I'd I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty fuming to be honest (laughs) well yeah I mean it was it was a bit disappointing added to the fact that Matt Johnson probably will never perform again as well so that was it there's a there's a there was three gigs that week there was one at the royal albert hall and i didn't go to that one and they have released that on vinyl i have bought it but i can't quite bring myself to listen to it yet mm, still a bit bitter 
Yeah, it's, you get you do get a bit of PTSD when you've got anything anything sort of unexpected happens. I think you do get these little memories and flashbacks and things like that. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know what's worse. Is it worse that you know it, you could have had this happen and missed the gig, but you actually went? Well, yes, there is that that I did actually go to. I was present at the gig, so I, I can say that I was there. I'd is, like is to that worse? It. <laughs> I don't know. I think well, kind of clearly, what would have been worse is going to the gig, remembering it for a couple of days, and then just dropping dead. But okay, um, yeah, that that, that yeah, would be that, a lot that, worse. <laughs> that, that would be quite considerably worse. But yeah, when you put I, it I in perspective, maybe, yeah, yeah, I think maybe just listen to the because the the live version from the Royal Albert Hall was probably similar to the next two nights. And I imagine every person you've told this to has, has asked the same question. When you were offline, or, or down downtime, I believe it was, did you have any image, any memory of that, any feeling? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. It's a question that everyone inquires about. And the downtime bit is the 29 minutes when, you know, that's, that's when everything's stopped. Then what they do, they put they operated on me, put me into what they call like an enforced coma. So they're keeping me alive with drugs and morphine and all that sort of stuff. And that that's the bit that you do remember. But because you're so well, you're not conscious of it. But there's definitely things happening, and there's loads loads of things that I remember. And it's clearly caused by what was happening around me, but not. Um, you know, not conscious of it, and I'll, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So, one of my memories is being—it was actually not what just watching, but being part of a Channel Four satirical set, sitcom set in a hospital. And it was like every every day, every night, it was like we were having to get ready to. We were making this next episode of the sitcom set in this hospital and that will just be me thinking about right i'm in a hospital i'm probably subconsciously aware of it and how do we get how do we have some fun in this probably watch a lot of channel 4 satire and so my mind just made up and it was it was really quite compelling you know getting ready for the camera remember there was this kind of large chap on on one of the sets and things like that and he was always sort of part of the jokes or or whatever and it the, the other thing about if you ever experience this or maybe everyone has different experiences it was like quite relentless it was like every week every week every week but it's like happening lots and lots of times when maybe it only happened once <laughs> but mm. it felt like i was sort of it was happening repeated but that's just triggers of what i'm seeing around what what's influencing me from around me rather than the actual reality or, or anything well, well, actually, maybe it's a bit rowdy. Maybe it was a bit satirical. <laughs> the, the hospital, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, there's there's not stranger than true life, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that. And then, at the same time, it was at the time of the previous World Cup. And what I do remember, and I think, in, so I'm, I really, I kind of like football. In in a sort of, I, I kind of collect the football stickers, and I always get excited about the World Cup. Put my World Cup chart up, and all that sort of stuff. Me too. And I think, yeah, well, and why wouldn't you? Because you know that's the that's one of the best things. Yeah. But I, I think that the event happened. I think it was the eighth of June, 
and it was the Friday that the World Cup was starting. So I'd got all the build-up and the excitement, but none of the experience. And as I understand it, in the um, uh, qualifying matches, if any footballers are listening, they'll probably know exactly what the matches are, how they how they did. But I think England played quite well. And so people were playing this to me on the radio and trying to keep me, Nigel, you know, England are playing tonight. But I, what I remember, what my memory is of like a, uh, you know, those cameras that fly around the pitch, mm. like being in a camera flying around the pitch and England kind of, I remember, I'm sure Peter Crouch was playing, which I don't think he was in reality. Um, but they sort of strung together like 10 headers or something, head, 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 goal. And it was like, wow, it was like, I've never seen England be that in control of a ball before. Mm. So again, my, my mind was sort of creating a sort of nonsense version of what was happening in, my, in the actual reality, which is quite, and but the fact that I can remember it is also quite, quite weird I guess but you don't know so when everyone asks about um, you know what's it like in the afterlife well they won't be able to tell you because they didn't survive it <laughs> so don't say that this is the afterlife this was the this was clearly the current life that was that was still kind of real life so that you, makes sense. you're not saying then that the afterlife is a really dominant England team display with a, with a glorious but, headed goal involving Peter Crouch unfortunately I can't guarantee that it is but what I would say is that um, if anyone, yeah, I mean, anyone who's sort of thinking about these things is that you do kind of. I was creating the best version of my life, <laughs> mm. and that's I saw that as quite a positive thing. But if it had carried on, maybe I hadn't come back, you know, woken up or whatever happened, then maybe I'd just be like living my best life. And Peter, Peter Crouch would be continuing to score headers for England, and that Channel Four satirical sitcom would have won loads of awards or something so well, could, if, could if you well can be. remember any of the sitcom you could always write it <laughs> well there there is that but i guess probably there's been enough satirical sitcoms on channel four about hospitals maybe one too many but yeah there, and there's there's loads of other stuff i remember i can tell okay, the, the, the other the, the other significant um one of the other significant things is that uh arctic monkey is one of my favorite bands had just released a tranquility hotel based tranquility based hotel and casino and it was the album that came out after am if you're arctic monkeys fan and i think a lot of people were disappointed because it was sort of slightly loungy casual are you big into music but it's kind of slow paced i'm, I'm and, not a, a big arctic monkeys fan no yeah and so but it wasn't all the rock stuff people had been excited about and actually I remember it coming out and it must have been a few weeks before and I just thought this is brilliant. I absolutely loved it. So again, I think people were probably either playing that album to me just because they know that I liked it. But I do remember hanging out with Alex Turner and giving him advice about how to put on the stage set for the tour that they were going to do with this album later in the year. And it was all, and it, it was one of those weird things that when I when I did sort of woke up and you know, anyone who's been anything like that, you're in a very delirious, weird state. But I remember saying, get me a notebook now. I've got loads of ideas of how to put the stage set on for the Arctic Monkeys tour. <laughs> but then I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. I should, I should, it's like one of those things you like, you, you should um, just sort of write things down as soon as you can. But I forgot. I, for, I just forgot. <laughs> just, do you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that. Keep a notebook by the side of the bed. So as soon as you wake up, write down what you were dreaming about. Yeah, and I, I, what I've done, what I do now, and I never used to do this, is that 
I do on my devices keep a much more active little notebook kind of thing and I know I, I do creativity and stuff but I know if I have an idea there and then if I don't write it down then it'll go and I think that's one really important thing to do actually mm. getting on to getting on to really serious stuff about how to manage creative thinking but yeah <laughs> Right. If you've got an idea, write it down. Don't think you're going to remember it. No, no, because you won't. Yeah, there's too too many thoughts going into the head for you to remember something. Yeah, yeah, and it's not like you know, it's uh, not like an Alzheimer's, uh, old age forgetful thing. Be right. Stuff goes. More stuff keeps going in, and Mm. you just lose track of that thing. What um what what year was this that this happened? I'm trying to work out what World Cup it was. Yeah, it was uh, 2008. So it was. Five years ago, because uh, we, um, yeah, so it's two, uh, 2008, uh, in June 2008. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so now I've been, um, it's, 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 it's kind of funny because you do get the, um, you know, it's like the anniversary. It's bit, some people think I'm five years old now, <laughs> which is maybe more appropriate. But it's like, is my birthday from the day that the event happened or the day that I woke up? So that's sometime two, in June? 2018 then. No, 2018, sorry, yes. Yeah, right. I was going to say, what year is this? Am I dreaming now? Yeah, exactly, yeah, 2018, right. 23 now, isn't it? Five years ago, yeah. So um, so it's still kind of recent enough. And, you know, part of the, the journey really was, <coughs> excuse me, is coming out of that in 2018 in the summer, so five years ago, and then having a, a year or so just kind of like not really understanding what had happened what what's going on you know sort of recovering really and i by the time i'd sort of got a bit more focused thought about my work and my design stuff that was um end of 2019 so i thought right i'm going to get back into work and then february 2020 covid hit and so the world the rest of the world caught up with me in the weirdness of like kind of not understanding. I was like, I'm already there. I've got no idea what's going on. Welcome to my my world. But it also meant that I probably didn't become too active too soon. It sounds like, you know, that was getting on for nearly a year and a half, but it needed that sort of recovery time. So I got then more enforced recovery time from COVID. So Mm. I sort of possibly, you know, again, it would like, I, I think if, I'd have been just working at normal level and then COVID hit, it had been weird, but I hadn't got back up to speed. So it was like a, I'd, I'd sort of been in two years of lockdown almost anyway mm. by then. So, so COVID kind of worked out for you at the right time? It, it, it was sort of beneficial apart from financially very devastating because I wasn't working. But, yeah. you know, but I think mentally and probably professionally, it probably was a, a, a there was some benefits to that. Mm. And, and how has the whole thing changed your outlook on life now? The way you you work, the way you the way you eat, the way you you live. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, a lot again. A lot of people sort of say, you know, you reappraise your life, and you know, you've got another chance. I don't. I don't see it like that at all. It's more of just a a continuation of the day to day things that you were doing before. I definitely. Uh, haven't necessarily cut down on the bad things of you know I don't you know I don't smoke I mean and if I did smoke beforehand I would probably totally cut that out but because the doctor said it was okay to drink Guinness I still drink Guinness I probably you know there are things that because you get a lot tighter a lot quicker 
and again this is probably not a bad thing i won't drink as much as i might have done previously i mean, and i don't like stronger alcohol and all those things so there's a maybe like an enforced slowdown of that anyway uh but i've not i i um they they put you on like um like a recovery program for uh, exercise and stuff but there was some side effects for me and kind of motion and body stuff which had been quite tricky to manage so it's still quite difficult for me to stand up without using hands and arms mm. you know, and sit stand thing i i can't do so a little bit of mobility but you know i mean actually the doctors whenever i see them, i've got this slight mobility issue it goes well that wasn't our job our job was to save your life we did that you know deal with it type thing which is kind of fine but a bit frustrating so nothing's really changed for me apart, apart from i do get a lot tired but i think the biggest impact or the bigger impact really was thinking about my work and my sort of approach to the world in terms of work and i think that was probably a combination of what happened to me and then the kind of stuff that was happening in terms of lockdown and remote working and actually if if lockdown hadn't created this whole remote working environment that everyone suddenly accepted things might still be quite tricky for me work-wise because just just sort of going into town or kind of you know getting a tube walking across the city walking on the tube getting back you know just is really still quite exhausting but suddenly everyone went yeah let's get on a zoom meeting well, that's <laughs> brilliant you know and so i started networking and i did quite a lot of networking in the first year um talking to a lot of people about what they wanted from branding and the sort of stuff that i do and then actually kind of networking in in in, the, in, in different countries meeting people from thousands of miles away and that was really kind of quite exciting and eye-opening i think in terms of what i do for my 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 work hmm. so it's an interesting thing um so do you think then covid and the fact that everybody is now using video meetings nationally and internationally and the world's a much smaller place has, has actually been good for your business yeah i think i think i'd always um enjoyed working internationally and so you know but you know i did a did a meeting in chicago once that we kind of flew out on a plane early in the morning got to chicago in the evening did a meeting got back on another plane came back to london not quite 36 hours later wow. but but it was we didn't stay because we couldn't really afford to stay in the hotel but we had to go to this meeting and it's just sort of you just think well that's crazy <laughs> that it's, doesn't make that any sense nuts, yeah. <laughs> you know so and that's a really extreme example but yeah i you know i've done a lot of international business travel that now you would argue was very wasteful of time money resource all of those things um what i think has been good is that i've i've had to adapt how i work obviously because we do workshops that's sticking post-it notes and you know being really interactive with people and it's good that you can do that again now and i do enjoy that but actually thinking about how you present information to people via screens to keep them on track, even things like what size you put words on, page, on the page that you're going to show people mm. really kind of helps keep them informed on the journey. And then you add in a bit, you know, a bit of um, technology, that IA stuff that helps bring everything together. It's making a much more, I think, more... Um, more involved thing for the people that I'm working with so I like working with business owners that want to learn stuff 
and I think it's really helping them. Nice. So, so considering your your business, then it it how was it working before all of this happened? Yeah, so I think before before the event, I I'm I'm an independent brand consultant. So it's for me, it's about combining strategy and creativity, taking it up into you know brand identity creation, but not delivery. So the sort of projects I was doing was doing before, and I worked totally independently. Were sort of kind of small branding projects that were typically, you know, you'd go go and do a workshop with someone. You then go off and kind of do some thinking, go back to their office, present some thoughts about the strategy and the messaging and the positioning. Mm. Then you go away and you kind of come up with some identity and you you know talk to the board of directors, show them some options, have your boards or projecting it. So it was quite a time-consuming thing, but it was it's probably at a more corporate level. So I, I just totally dropped off the radar, really. I think some people thought... I. I had died because people had heard sort of what had happened to me and I had no visibility my main sort of channels are like LinkedIn and stuff and so when I started sort of doing again it was a bit like starting from scratch mm. sort of creating a new approach to working with people about branding and what what I'd sort of observed when I came out of hospital was that even using things like mobile phones or TV remote controls, I'd totally forgotten how they worked. <laughs> you know, it was sort of, and you know, anyone who's got aging parents, my parents are in their mid to late 80s now, you, and they get frustrated with devices and stuff. And you go, oh, what do you mean you can't use your mobile phone? You know, it was just like that. I had no idea. I couldn't remember numbers over two digits long, all that sort of stuff. And I got a real sort of glimpse of what, what the sort of future's like in terms mm. of, the complications around technology specifically and just you know online banking i mean i was throwing computers around you know because it was just and i what i did did know though is that i you know because i do branding i've done it since i was I've probably done it since before i went to college but it was kind of hardwired into me and i could talk about branding you know sort of like ask me to just turn the tv over and no i don't know how to do it you want to know about how to create a brand yeah i'll tell you exactly how to create a brand and so someone suggested that i just write down everything that i know about branding and i started doing that on post-it notes and things and then it sort of sort of struck me that maybe a lot of people don't understand branding like i don't understand kind of remote controls at the moment yeah so i've kind of created this thing called untangle your brand but it's you know it's, it's evolved since since then I, I didn't ever have a sort of product like that but it's a way of trying to demystifying the branding process make it simpler for business owners to actually have more control of their business and their brands and that's a totally different way of me thinking about it mm. whereas before i was waiting for the next project to come along or pitching for work and stuff so i'm being much more direct with business owners and um you know sort of independent consultants coaches to help them know all these things that i know about branding that i think will be useful for their business and that's been kind of really enjoyable. So it's sort of the starting point of that journey mm. but it's taken this amount of time to get it so a bit more to get it, it, it's almost like the what happened to you and the frustrations you you faced afterwards has actually been really good for your business because it's allowed you to have a, a light bulb moment and work out how to explain what you do and package what you do for other businesses 
Well, yeah, totally. And and I and I'd sort of say that to anyone that you know you find if you're you know if you're in business and you sort of go through going through the motions a bit. If it, don't have a major heart event to do this. Yeah, but it's that's good advice. Don't it's, do it's, that. It, yeah, don't 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 do that bit. But to take that time out, you know, if you can take a month or two out and really think more deeply about what's going on and having that reset covid helped and a lot of people a lot of people did it during covid and i noticed there was a massive influx of people who kind of like sort of took jobs or i'm going to be a coach i'm going to teach and do all this uh, have an online thing and really engaged about it and then they've all gone back into their corporate jobs again because you know that's that's kind of what they knew and that's that's absolutely fine no 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 issue with that but that's not what I knew before. So I couldn't go back into that security of the corporate world. I kind of had to make my independent brand consulting work. Mm. But as you say, I think I've managed, I've created something that's probably more long-term purposeful for both me and the businesses rather than just sitting there coming up with yeah. brand stuff. So you, you mentioned it a few moments ago. Um, you must have known I'm going to ask you, uh, how do you create a brand? How do you create a brand? How do you create yeah, a well, brand? well, it, I think. So what what I say is that my my definition of a brand is something that is about the emotional connection that the customer, the person buying the product or service, has with that product or service. So to create a brand, you need to create an emotional connection, and it doesn't matter what that product or service is. So, you know, I will walk past Starbucks to get to Costa because I think the Costa hot chocolate is better than Starbucks. So I've got an emotional connection with Costa and they've created that brand that I know that I'm going to going to kind of keep on going back to creating that loyalty. I, I wear Adidas, not Nike. I like New Order, so I wear Adidas. I don't do running, so I don't do they wear Nike. So I've got the emotional connection with Adidas. So what your task is is to create that emotional connection between your audience and your product and service to make them feel like they've made the right choice. I read The Guardian, not The Telegraph, for obvious mm. reasons. And they're all the things that you're trying to do. So how do, how do you actually then create that emotional connection is probably the next question you might ask me. Maybe not, I don't know. How do you uh, create that <laughs> oh, emotional right. connection? Well, I'm glad that you asked, because I never, knew, never thought you would. <laughs> well, you but, know, it was clearly my but, next question. <laughs> but there's and i think when you when you talk to a lot of brand consultants we're all doing the same thing by the way we just talk about it in different ways and that's absolutely fine so i got a, a methodology about trying to get information from the businesses so you can understand what they're all about i talk about vision positioning offer values mission and what i call a brand core i call it a brand donut and it's like a like a ring donor with a big bit of jam in the center but we're all trying to do the same things is identify these different parts of what makes up the brand and then find out what the emotional glue is so the vision is really important you know where you're going to be the positioning how you offset against the audience competition values what you believe in the mission the actions and activities you take the offer the products and services you sell so these are all the things that make up the brand and if you can ask the right questions and get useful answers you've then got to find the jammy sticky glue bit in the center <laughs> not glue in the donut that'd be rubbish well maybe. Um, um, so that's what you're trying to do is get that information and then once you've got that you can then start to express that visually 
you can start to express that verbally once you've understood the, the the framework some people use pyramids some people might use it they call it a house a brand house a brand pyramid it mm. doesn't matter i call mine a brand donut that's kind of just the way i am you like donuts i like well i'm not a big fan of donuts actually as, as it happens but <laughs> oh. it i think i think people just started calling my my drawing the, like, oh you've drawn a donut okay well fine yeah let's call it a brand donut we'll then. go with that then yeah yeah we'll go with that thanks <laughs> so can can businesses do this themselves or do they need you or somebody like you with it or, or is your untangling the the brand thing for someone to do themselves well actually i, I do believe that uh, i always sort of say that whenever in, and i've done some big international corporate products projects the answers come from the business owners or the, the employees. Mm. We don't just magic stuff up. And that's that's always the process. You ask the questions, you interpret the answers, and you go off and you, you create what you need to. And I generally believe that business owners do have the answers. They do need someone to help them get it out, but that's just like anything. So with Untangle Your Brand, there's, there is a standalone component to it. But what I tend to find is better for me to kind of hold someone's hand through a few sessions and then there'll be enough to actually go off and do this. So I'm distilling 25 years of experience, but I've got six 15 minute videos. Now, yes, you can watch that and do all the exercises, but you're probably going to be better off sharing some of that with someone. But they can do it a lot themselves. And recently, the people that have been through what I call Untangle Your Brand Mastery which is these six sessions, they tend, I, I sort of give them tasks like homework, go off and think about positioning, think of what your brand core is, what is your jam at the center? And they come back to me, normally they share some ideas and then we do discuss it, And but they've come up with it. And then when they've got that idea, and th this is the big, the big leap, is that you then have to turn that into creative stuff, which is the harder part. And that's where you might then need a support. But mm. any business that has answered some questions about their brand they've managed to express their stuff in a ordered way like following a donut or whatever pyramid or an onion brand onion um the creativity will be better because you've got foundations and understanding if you just go to someone and say i've got this business idea can I have a logo from a website yeah. you know book it off fiverr you will be coming to someone in a few years time to do it properly mm, yeah, it's sure. just going to be some generic logo that yeah. is no different yeah. to anybody else's. Yeah. You you mentioned how you work with some big corporates um, and you gave the example of Costa brand, Costa's brand yeah. speaking to you as opposed to, to Starbucks. For business owners listening to this who might be startups or one man or one woman bands, how important is it for a, a them to have a brand just as much as it is for somebody like PlayStation? Yeah, so I think there's there's two things that I talk about here is that the first is that if you are a startup, the most important thing, right, you've got an idea for your business. You've kind of got to get it out there. So it goes against the advice I've just given. Get yourself a logo, get it on a website and start selling your products and your services. You've got to sort of have proof of concept. I think people talk about minimal viable products and all that sort of stuff. You've got to kind of make that business work. And you won't have a lot of money to invest in branding. So I think as you've grown a bit and you've proven what's working and what's not working, that's the time to start investing in your brand. Maybe you've done it for a couple of years. You've reached a sort of level of sales 
Uh, but again, you still don't need to spend tens and tens of thousands. But if, to use your example of PlayStation, the only reason that, that costs a lot of money, and the biggest brand that I've done, I rebranded Ford Motor Company um, about 20 years ago, but the and that cost a million pounds. That looks like a logo tweak to anyone that's seen it. Did, did you say Ford, it, Ford Motor Company? Yeah. So Ford Motor Company, the blue oval, 2003. I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So okay. in, I did yeah, not know that. Two, wow. Well, so, yeah, in 2003, I led the design, redesign of that blue oval, went out to Detroit. I was working for a big agency at the time, just kind of got appointed to do the project. That cost a million pounds. A lot of people can't see the difference. But the reason it costs a lot of money, like the PlayStation one will, is because there's more people involved, there's more stakeholders to talk to, there's less certainty about, you know, well, which which direction should we go? And they can spend money having 15 people create 50 different versions before they settle on the version. If you're an independent business owner just starting out, A, you don't have the money, but you don't have the complexity of, of a large firm making decisions or teams making mm. decisions on your behalf so it can be a lot more efficient you can actually just you know use your instinct quite a lot working with a decent professional you know who who actually can visualize your ideas you'll get there quite quickly without without the sort of budget so it's only really when you involve lots of people it starts to cost a lot of money and and we work with some, some some large clients. Nothing quite like what what you've done there. And as you mentioned, the lots of people does tend to be the problem. Whenever it's a committee to decide, and there's a lot of stakeholders in it, it always takes a lot longer. There's always more compromise with the work you're doing. How did you find working with with such a huge brand with so many people involved? Yeah, I mean, I, ironically, with the Ford project. And again, this is um, you know the sort of crazy days of 2003. So I was the lead designer. So I was primarily in the office doing all the work, and then it was like the senior sort of used to call them bag handlers mm. would go and do the presentations. But they were flying from London to Detroit on a weekly basis with our big boards of of kind of printed off. This is a new version of the logo. To present it and then come back, give us feedback, and actually give us what the give give us some feedback on it. So I wasn't as directly involved in those meetings, but again, that's sort of a ridiculous thing that would never happen now. Mm. Um, so my <laughs> so my experience of managing kind of things like that actually then started after I did the Ford logo. I then got more into some strategy kind of work and actually moved away from design and got into more of the insight and you know trying to get the I do, I do a lot of work around what we call brand architecture so organizing different products and services so they make sense yeah. and that was the when I was like then put in front of boards of directors to actually kind of bring them all together under a common goal and I think I just got a, a skill of managing complex stakeholder groups and it's all about making sure that people are listened to, but also making sure you're giving them clear direction, making decisions, and keeping them keeping them informed of, along the process, so that they know they're not getting a wall pulled over their eyes by some sort of flaky creative that comes in and just sort of says, "It's all pink today. See you later." <laughs> you know, that's that's not how you do it. It's certainly with you know PLCs and things like that. So, I think I was just I just become good at talking to those kinds of people in a way 
again, it does go back to what I'm doing now with demystifying branding, but just, you know, you know, a, a CEO or board level director, and I've done some, you know, fo- sort of FTSE 250 things, and, you know, big law firms, um, they've got no idea of what branding is really either. And that's not like in a patronizing way. You've just got to make it clear and accessible and human to them. Mm. So they don't feel stupid, so that they, as they can make an informed choice about something and not actually uh, feel that, like I say, they're, they're just getting sold, sold some, some rubbish, you know, for, and paying a lot of money for it. Um, so, and all those things about with those sort of C suite type people, honesty, you know, just say it as it is. Don't, don't fluff about with, with your answers. Mm. You know, just, just, just be open and honest. So there's a lot of people skills to, to what you do then. Well, yeah, I think I think that's right, and it's probably one of those things that you don't necessarily, you know, when you start out in design, think that you need. You think a lot of people think you need good drawing skills, but I, I still draw like a drew when I was seven years old, I think. But um, and that and that doesn't mean that I was a good drawer at seven years old either. <laughs> so yeah, I think you you've got to. Um, yeah, and we ran the business as well for a bit, so navigating people was was tricky, but I think. Again, back to you know, emotional connection, understanding audiences, and all that sort of thing, is that you've got to do that uh, kind of empathy kind of thing to actually be able to kind of keep the brand moving forward. Wow. And what what do you think about the importance of personal branding with company branding? Yeah, it's the question. It's actually you know I, I wasn't going to predict you were going to ask that question, but it is one of the most often asked questions. Is it? Yeah, oh, well, it is. Cause, I, I, I hate to yeah. be predictable now. <laughs> well, no, you, you've been predictable by being unpredictable until you became less predictable. <laughs> but don't worry about it. It's it's one of those things. So I think that this this sort of movement towards personal branding has obviously kind of picked up in the last sort of 10, 20 years because of social and stuff. I mean, we've talked about Ford. That was a personal brand, really. It was named after the owner of the business, yeah. but it's now now a global corporate corporate brand. I think with with the people that I generally work of, they they tend to start off as thinking about it as their own name as being the personal brand. I think people have got a little bit beyond that in it's about your own personality that you bring into the brand as well. And then they sort of assume that if you've got a corporate brand, you suddenly have to be something different, which is just not true. And it, I, this is where I think a lot of people kind of fall over themselves on LinkedIn thinking that all of a sudden they've got to go and put a shirt and, uh, a shirt and tie on to go and write, write on LinkedIn and then they've got to kind of, you know, be having a barbecue to write on Facebook or something. And it's not necessarily the true. And the people that get annoyed, I mean, I'm in a world where I, I get annoyed by cat videos on any platform, <laughs> but it, it, I don't mind people sharing their personal stuff in LinkedIn. I don't mind people sharing their business stuff in Facebook. It's just, it's just what it is. And so with the personal versus corporate, I think... And I've got this sort of little test that I do. It's like t- 10 questions. It's like a little, not, not, not sort of psychometric test. It's not as subtle as that, but it's 10 questions that you can ask to know whether you should do a corporate or personal brand. And then sort of the way that I devised it is that if you are very comfortable with exposure of yourself, then you can have a more personal brand because it's more about you. But some people are going to be more protected and so they need to hide behind that corporate brand. But I still say that corporate brand should represent them. It's just not the name. And what I don't think you need to do is to create a big kind of 
hide behind this big corporate shiny thing and be a very different person underneath it because that's not really going to connect with your people so my my personal you know me personally i've got a name nigel davis hello <laughs> Um, and you could say that's my personal brand. I like records. I drink Guinness. I read The Guardian. That's my personal brand. I've also got a business brand. It's not that corporate. It's called Pin. Pin Creative. P-I-N Creative. And that is kind of really handy for me to to sort of glue everything together. So when I do my business stuff, even if I've launched something like Untangle Your Brand, it's a Pin Creative product, but it's called Untangle Your Brand, and I can just put it out there. And people can engage with it, but it's by Pink Creative. Mm. Pink Creative is Nigel Davies. I think the personal bit that I put in there is that PIN, P-I-N, is my values. So from a branding point of view, you know, pragmatic, inspiring, and nurture. You know, tell that I'm from the north. Inspire, I like creativity. Nurture, I like to learn stuff, and I like people to learn. And so I've put a bit of my DNA directly into the business, but it's quite subtle. So anyone who's doing that, I would say, make sure there's DNA of your your person in your your corporate. Otherwise, it it, it won't really work. But it's definitely what well, I wouldn't. Again, this is something that I particularly dislike from a branding point of view. Is just sort of calling the business your name and sort of creating some signature like a, a Virgin. No, sorry, like a Virgin logo. But got to remember, it wasn't Richard Branson's signature. It was a n- name they'd come up with that was a signature. So it wasn't a real signature. And yeah. that, that, to me, isn't really creating a brand. It's creating a mark, and marks are really important. You've got a name, you've got a mark, you've, you've got a way of identifying it. It's, um, it's a very traditional, um, you know, the traditional thing, definition of branding is putting a mark on a cow, isn't it? And that's kind of... That's kind of what you're doing. Just saying, this is me. This is identifying this thing. You've not created a brand. You've created a scribble that people will recognise. Mm. A signature that's fine, but you won't really have created a brand. And, and, and bringing up Richard Branson, of course, he, he is one of the classic examples of a personal brand. His stamp, yeah. his his attitude, his ethos is in all of his companies, and you you can see that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where you know his you know his personal brand, Richard Branson. It's still the Virgin brands and the Virgin brands that he's brought out that people kind of go out and buy, but they buy into him as the person and they buy the products he sell. What I think is interesting about Virgin, and when when we talk about um, brand architecture, and there's different approaches to it, um, they have quite what we call an endorsed approach. So everything's called Virgin something, Virgin Cola, Virgin Brides. Virgin um, trains, Virgin whatever, and Virgin's in there, but they all have their own personality. And I think if you identified as what at the heart of what Richard Branson is known for as a brand, probably something around, you know, it's like spirit adventure, taking risks or something like that. And I think that's that core that he has does go into the businesses that he has so Virgin Galactic you know they're they're the ones that are going to work better than the ones that aren't really as adventurous Virgin Cola you know it's just a drink and again if you've got a personal brand and a personal ethos and you're launching products that don't quite align with that Virgin Brands uh, Virgin Brides wasn't probably the most successful thing that he did because it probably wasn't that exciting and adventurous enough for him Hmm. As a, it, and so the brand doesn't really ring true. Um, I mean, Virgin Trains may be too adventurous for some people, but you know it, that's the sort of way that it, way that it, it would go. And 
yeah so he's he's got the personal brand the dna's are in all his businesses and if it's not they kind of go wrong oh, that's an interesting point to think about isn't it the way if you have a personal brand and you have a business whatever you do next make sure it does align with your values otherwise there's going to be a disconnect and it's not really going to work it's not going to be you yeah and straight away and that's that's why you know back to the brand donor and the, the jam at the center whatever that kind of brand i call it a brand core brand heart lots of people call it different things if that's not true and that and that should be the guiding thing for everything that you do as a business it should be the thing that actually glues everything together and if it's not the thing then you're not going to do very well with it that's kind of typically the thing so nike might be all about pushing athletic boundaries or something like that it's going to be something don't know if it's definite so they will only choose sports people who are going to push athletic boundaries you mm. know you know they probably aren't going to have too many snooker players <laughs> but you know, they might do i don't know I mean, now, now, now we're going to find out that there's a whole bunch of snooker players that are sponsored by nike but i suspect that they're going to stick to wimbledon champions and i think you're right like nike probably doesn't do a range of black waistcoats and comfortable <laughs> shoes yeah, and darts players. There's probably not as many darts players that are sponsored by Nike either. But, you know, there's again, this is how it works. You know, there's lots of brands that want to be associated with darts players and snooker players. Hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not just thinking about 70, the 70s when I was in Sheffield at the Crucible and they, they were there drinking lager and smoking. But there's still that kind of thing about you, you've got to connect the two together if you're promoting or sponsoring someone. And you've got a brand and you, you see it quite a lot really you, you can tell when some the, the the front person isn't quite aligned with the brand yeah. and it's 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 you know it's a, it's a big business there's bigger bigger people than me out there thinking about this stuff <laughs> on a daily daily basis so well, it's certainly given me a lot to think about um we're, <laughs> we're we're almost out of time can you believe I can't believe. I know well it's, it's incredible I know maybe you've you've lost the time again maybe it's gone yeah um, yeah so before we, we wrap up, if somebody wants to get in touch with you to yep. work with you, to talk about records, or maybe yep. to, to be on your podcast that you're going to be launching soon. It's definitely going to be launching soon. It's, it's, called, it's going to be called, I know what it's going to be called, um, that, and I haven't, but I haven't recorded the first one. But yeah, if anyone wants to reach out for me, then um, you know my, my details, my business is pincreative.co.uk. There is a, a sort of satellite site for untangleyourbrand.com. So that kind of has all the accessible stuff for independent business owners, people that are trying to kind of get through the muddle of branding. Uh, the, the podcast is going to be called um, Bands, Brands and Bands. Brands so I'll be and talking bands. Of brands and Bands. So I'm going to be talking about branding a bit. And I'll be talking about records because that's kind of one of my big passions is music. So rather than just sit there talking about branding all day, like we've done, we didn't even talk about music really. You know, we, we didn't. We, we, I, we didn't. I, You're gutted, yeah, aren't I, you? You're gutted. Yeah. Well, I am because my, my first question that I ask people, I'm going to ask you this now, and you probably weren't expecting this, is what is your favourite band? <laughs> it's a band I've never seen live because I'm not oh. old enough. Uh, it would be Queen. Ah, oh, Queen. It'll be Queen. You're not old enough to see Queen. Like, not, not really. No, no. I mean, I, well, I, I could really. see them live now, but there's two of them. Yeah. And they're like <laughs> six hundred quid for half of Queen, and yeah. Adam Lambert, and I don't really want that. No, no. It's 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 Freddie or nothing. Um, no, Freddie yeah. died when I was, what was it? I think I was about sixteen, um, so I wasn't yeah. old enough to to see Queen. 
yeah so and actually uh, when i ask this question to people when they first start working with them they're, they're what so if i asked you to um, yeah, describe what queen meant to you hmm. in a few words just a few words on the spot oh. it would be glam camp yeah. and outrageous outrageous yeah mm. and and you and you can gen, generally do that pretty much on the spot i'm not going to ask you this question but i do that with people and i talk about adam and the ants pirate glamour punk rock you know that's kind mm. of what adam and the ants mean to me i then say right now can you describe your business in a few words like that if i was to say can, tell me your your bit maybe your maybe your business is all about glam camp outrageousness but <laughs> they struggle <laughs> they really struggle and yeah. they need to be able to express their brand in that simple way like they can about their favorite bands and the things that they know about and have loved for years and once you can get to that point then you really kind of can create that connection with other people because mm. then you can tell explain to them why you love queen or why you love adam and the ants or new order or so when when you love your business as much as you love your favorite band yeah that's when you know and, and, you're you're going the right way yeah and when you can express it in that very succinct kind of direct emotional way then yeah you're probably getting into a, a happy place with your business as well if you're struggling and you're fumbling about going well we sort of do this i like it because <laughs> and maybe one day you know then you, you're probably not going going to get get there too soon and you probably need to untangle your brand that's probably what i would say and that, that, that's a that's a great fitting point to end on there untangle your brand and yeah. I will put all of the links that you've mentioned below the podcast as well. So anybody that wants to... Because my, my first question that I ask people, I'm going to ask you this now, and you probably weren't expecting this, is what is your favourite band? <laughs> it's a band I've never seen live because I'm not oh. old enough. Uh, it would be Queen. Ah, oh, Queen. It would be Queen. You're not old enough to so see Queen live? Not, not really, no. no. I mean, I, well, I, I could really. see them live now, but there's two of them. Yeah. And they're like <laughs> six hundred quid for half of Queen. Yeah, yeah. So I'm starting that. I'm, I'm, I've got to get an episode. I've decided. I've put myself a task of getting an episode out this month. All right. Uh, but I'm going. I'm starting off because this is the start of my podcast journey. So starting off just doing a few me talking to me type things, and mm. then I'm going to start building it out a little bit and not not sort of push myself. But I thought it'd be a good thing to do. Clearly, you think it's a good thing to do for your business. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I had an interview yesterday with a, a lady that also runs a podcast, and she's been doing it for years. She's on like season eight or season nine of her podcasts, and she's a business coach. And she was telling me how she gets people coming to her, uh, knowing stories about her personal stories, and she doesn't know how she's heard them because they've listened to a podcast. And yeah. it gets away that gets over that problem of getting to know like and trust somebody because they already know like and trust you because they've yeah. listened to you on the podcast yeah so it's a great tool for bringing yeah. people into your business that yeah so they're not cold effectively so yeah it, it, it is a brilliant thing to do